0: Hello everyone, this is Dr. Rajeshwari Rappata and welcome to the Anatomy at the Art of Healing podcast. Last time we discussed about the arteries. Today we are going to discuss about the veins. So let us start with the characteristic features of the veins. As you know, the veins are thin walled and these are thinner than the arteries. They are lumen than the you can see is larger than that of the accompanying arteries veins have walls and these walls they maintain the unidirectional flow of the blood even against the gravity coming to the muscular and elastic tissue content of the venous walls it is much less than that of the arteries and it is directly related to the low venous pressure Coming to the walls, in the smaller veins, that is a 7 mm hg pressure will be seen, the venous pressure. And this is where the walls are of utmost value in the venous return. However, the walls are absent in those veins which are less than that of 2 mm diameter. Also, in the vena cave, you will find the the walls are absent. In certain veins like in the hepatic veins, renal veins, uterine, ovarian, cerebral, the spinal, pulmonary and umbilical veins also you will find the walls may be absent. Coming to the muscular and elastic content in the venous walls, those are much lesser than the arteries. So that is why it is directly related to the low venous pressure and you'll find that in the uh, large veins they have a surrounding dead space so that whenever they dilate during the increased venous return the dead space it will increase in the size and it serves as the reserve space this dead space commonly contains the regional lymph nodes also coming to the detailed venous uh, structure the veins are made up of 3 coats just like the arteries but here in the veins the coats are ill defined the muscle and the elastic tissue content it is poor now in the tunica media which is poorly developed the amount of the collagen fibers it is more than the elastic and the muscle fibers in the tunica adventitia which is thickest and best developed the smooth muscle is altogether absent in many of many types of the veins that is it can be in the veins of the maternal part of placenta where the smooth muscle is altogether absent also in the cranial venous sinuses pile veins and the retinal veins, in the veins of cancellous bone, in the venous spaces of the corpora cavernosa in the corpus spongiosum, you will find that the smooth muscle is altogether absent. Now coming to the blood and nerve supply of the veins the larger veins just like the arteries are supplied with the nutrient vessels Similarly, they are called as vasavasorum. but in the veins the vessels it may penetrate up to the intima most probably because of the low venous pressure and low oxygen tension. Also nerves are distributed to the veins in the same manner as the arteries but here the nerves may be very fewer in number. There are certain factors which help in the venous return what are these factors that is the overflow from the capillaries pushing from behind by the arteries it's called as vis a tergo next the negative intrathoracic pressure also sucks the blood into the heart from all over the body the gravity also helps return venous return into the upper part of the body the arterial pulsations press on the venae comitants intermittently and then that drives the venous blood towards the heart the venous valves prevent any regurgitation regurgitation is the backflow so it prevents the regurgitation of the luminal blood flow coming to the muscular contractions also muscular contractions play an important role pressing on the veins forming a very effective mechanism of the venous return this becomes still more effective within the tight sleeve of the deep fascia as you see that the muscles and the fascia they are all present over the veins churning them as you see in the lower limbs the calf muscles especially the soleus muscle for the reason it is called as peripheral heart so whenever it contracts it helps as a muscle pump and helps in the venous return Then there are the capillaries capillaries are very minute hair like networks of microscopical endothelial tubes interposed between the meta arterials and the venules Here the true capillaries that is without any smooth muscle cell these begin within uh, after a transition zone of around 50 to 100 microns beyond the pre-capillary sphincters the capillaries are replaced by cavernous spaces cavernous spaces are those dilated spaces in the uh, sex organs or in the uh, splenic pulp and placenta so these are about the capillaries now coming to the size of the capillary average diameter of the capillary maybe around 6 to 8 micron just sufficient to permit the red blood cells to pass through a single file but the size varies from the organ to organ you'll see in the brain and the intestines it is smallest and it is largest around 20 microns in the skin and the bone marrow there are various types of capillaries and its structure also differs when you see the capillaries these may be these are classified as continuous and fenestrated depending on the shape and uh, structure there are types of junctions between those endothelial cells Uh, there are two types depending on that the continuous capillaries those are found in the skin connective tissue the skeletal and the smooth muscles, lungs, and the brain. Now, these allow the function of the passage across their walls of the small molecules. That is, these molecules may be up to 10 micron size. Whereas in the fenestrated capillaries, you'll find these are usually found in the renal glomeruli, the intestinal mucosa the endocrine glands and pancreas here they allow passage across their walls of larger molecules that may be 20 to 100 micron size so that's the main difference between the continuous capillaries and the fenestrated capillaries the capillaries they form a bed and then there are also post capillary venules and these form a enormous area to the function of exchange of the nutrients, gases, metabolites and water between the blood and interstitial fluid. These capillaries also perform the function of migration of the leukocytes out of the vessels. Then similarly there are kind of other structures called as sinusoids. Sinusoids replace the capillaries in certain organs now sinusoids are open pool of bloods like in the liver spleen the bone marrow the suprarenal glands the parathyroid glands the carotid body etc these sinusoids are just open pool of bloods they have their own characteristics like they are large they are irregular they are vascular spaces which are closely surrounded by the parenchyma of the organ they are placed as holes of blood now these differ from the capillaries in few aspects like the lumen is wider and it may be irregular around 30 micron in size and their walls they are thinner and may also be incomplete and they are lined by endothelium in which the phagocytic cells or the macrophages are often distributed There is no adventitial support then they may connect the arterioles with the venules like in the spleen bone marrow or venule with the uh, with the venules in the liver that's about the capillaries and the sinusoids i hope you understood the difference between the capillaries and the sinusoids once again, coming to the difference, the capillaries, these are simply the network of microscopic endothelial tubes, whereas sinusoids are large, irregular vascular spaces. Coming to the, in the structure that's called as anastomosis. Anastomosis, while coming to defining the anastomosis, it's just a pre-capillary or post-capillary communication between the neighboring vessels. It can be simply called as a network between pre-capillary and post-capillaries uh, cap- uh, network. So, there happens a circulation through the anastomosis and it can be called as the collateral circulation. In the further coming topics, we will come across collateral circulation at the joints, collateral circulation at different organs, so anastomosis plays a very important role in forming the collateral circulation. There are different types of the collateral. Uh, no, there are different types of the anastomosis. Coming to the first type, that's the arterial anastomosis, which is a communication between the arteries or the branches of arteries. It can be actual anastomosis or a potential anastomosis for example in the actual arterial anastomosis the arteries will meet end to end for example the palmar arches the plantar arch the circle of Willis, the internal the intestinal or arcades the labial branches of facial arteries these are all actual arterial anastomosis in the potential arterial anastomosis the communication takes place between the terminal arterioles and these kind of communications can dilate only gradually for the collateral circulation that is why you find that on sudden occlusion of the main artery the anastomosis may fail to compensate the loss for example you can see these type of uh, compensating the loss or becoming occluded it can be seen in the coronary arteries and also in the cortical branches of the cerebral arteries when a sudden occlusion happens the anastomosis fails to compensate the loss then is the venous anastomosis so in the venous anastomosis you'll find the veins or the tributaries of the veins communicate with each other For example, the dorsal venous arches of the hand and the foot. Third type is the arteriovenous anastomosis. It's also called as arteriovenous shunt. Here, there is a communication between an artery and a vein. And it serves the function of the phasic activity of an organ. When the organ is active, these shunts are closed and the blood circulates through the capillaries so however you'll find that whenever the organ is at rest the blood will pass it will bypass the capillary bed and then it becomes shunted through the arteriovenous anastomosis here the shunt vessel it may be either straight or coiled or it may possess a thick muscular coat and it is totally under the influence of the sympathetic system there are shunts of simple structures which are found in the skin of the nose in the lips and the external ear also in the mucous membranes of the nose and the elementary canal in the coccygeal body in the erectile tissue of the sexual organs the tongue in the thyroid gland as well as in the sympathetic ganglia these are shunts of simple structures there are certain specialized arteriovenous anastomoses also which are found in the skin of the digital pads and the nail beds these form small number of units which are called as glomera then there is another kind of shunt called as preferential thoroughfare channels. These thoroughfare channels, they course through the capillary network and many true capillaries also arise from the side branches of these channels. One kind of thoroughfare channel with its associated capillaries, they form a microcirculatory unit and the size of this unit may be variable from 1 to 2 or to, uh, around 20 to 30 true capillaries and the number of active units also varies from time to time this, that's why it's called as preferential thoroughfare channels now coming to the end arteries end arteries are those arteries which do not anastomose with the neighboring arteries these are simply end arteries or terminal arteries for example you will find the central artery of retina the labyrinthine artery of the internal ear these are absolutely the end arteries central branches of cerebral arteries the recta of mesenteric arteries then arteries of spleen, kidney, lungs and metaphysis of long bones these are all the end arteries there is a specific importance of end arteries so whenever an end artery gets occluded then it can cause a serious nutritional disturbances which results into the death of the tissue which is usually supplied by that end artery for example the occlusion of the central artery of retina it can lead to blindness so that's why these end arteries are very important now coming to the applied anatomy of the cardiovascular system so whatever you have studied regarding the cardiovascular system the general anatomy all this is applied in the clinical part of the diagnosis in the patient so the blood pressure is the arterial pressure which is exerted by the blood on the arterial walls whatever the maximum pressure during the ventricular systole is called as the systolic pressure and the minimum pressure during the ventricular diastole is called as diastolic pressure so the systolic pressure it is generated because of the force of the contraction of the heart and the diastolic pressure it is chiefly due to the arteriolar tone that is the peripheral resistance the heart it has to pump the blood against the diastolic pressure which is a direct load on the heart and normally you see that the blood pressure when you uh, measure it with the the blood pressure apparatus it's roughly 120 by 80 mmHg that is 120 being the systolic and 80 being the diastolic. Now, systolic pressure it ranges from 110 to 130 and the diastolic pressure ranges from 70 to 80. And the difference between this diastolic and systolic pressure, it's called as the pulse pressure. Coming to the hemorrhages, bleeding. Now, obviously, it's because of the rupture of the blood vessels. So, it can be a venous hemorrhage, it can be an arterial hemorrhage or a capillary hemorrhage. Venous hemorrhage, it causes oozing of blood. Whereas, arterial haemorrhage, it causes spurting of the blood because of the increased pressure. Coming to the vascular catastrophes. Now here, there are three kinds you'll find that is thrombosis, embolism and haemorrhage. All of these result in a loss of blood supply to the area of distribution of the vessel involved unless it is compensated by a collateral circulation. So this can also result into a serious condition. Coming to arteriosclerosis, this term, especially the arteries when they become stiff, sclerosed, when, when do they become stiff and sclerosed, especially in the old age? and here the phenomenon is called as the arteriosclerosis and it is called it causes a variable reduction in the blood supply to the tissues and then because of which there is a rise in the systolic pressure and further complications may arise so arteriosclerosis in short the arteries become sclerosed and stiff because of which there is a rise in the systolic pressure Coming to Arteritis and Phlebitis Wherever the term ITIS comes it is related to inflammation So Arteritis is inflammation of an artery Phlebitis is the inflammation of a vein Next term is Atheroma Atheroma are patchy changes which happen in the tunica intima of the arteries and this happens due to the accumulation of cholesterol or other lipid compounds. Most of the arteries get narrowed, like in the artery uh, arteries of the heart, in the brain, and the small intestine, kidneys, or lower limbs. There can be atherosclerotic or atheroma patches found inside the artery and these changes when they happen these are also called as thrombi thrombi is a single clot like structure hardening of the blood inside the artery then you find the coronary arteries blockage this another term and this may be because of various conditions this coronary arteries blockage this can be opened up by the stents blocked coronary artery it can be replaced by a graft so there are certain procedures which are done to remove the blockages another term that is called as aneurysm aneurysm the term means swelling or dilatation of the blood vessels where the part of the wall of the artery becomes inflated like a balloon the wall of the blood vessel at the site of the aneurysm, it becomes weaker and thinner than the rest part of the blood vessel. And because of this weakening and the pressure inside, it balloons, it inflates. Now due to its likelihood to burst, it can pose a very serious risk to health. That's the aneurysm. There is another condition called as the Burgess disease. It's also called as thromboangitis obliterans. It's a very painful condition. It's because of the inflammation which happens in the small peripheral arteries of the legs. And usually the victim of the Burgess disease is a young person who is a very heavy smoker. Another condition which is called as the Reynolds phenomenon or Reynolds disease in this condition there is a spasmodic attack of the pallor of the fingers the fingers become paler and it's because of the constriction of smaller arteries present in the fingers and the arterioles also constrict and the fingers become pale and it is usually because of the response to cold so this is the Reynolds Phenomenon. Sometimes you will find there is a parenteral nutrition which can be given through the right subclavian vein and the blood vessels can be examined in the retina by the ophthalmoscope especially in cases of the diabetes and hypertension that can be seen in the acute thrombosis. When the term phlebothrombosis can be explained as the veins of the lower limbs which are affected here in the acute phlebothrombosis, and that's when the parenteral nutrition can be given through the right subclavian vein. Due to the lack of the movement of the legs, there is a thrombus formation which happens, and there is a mild inflammation along with it and this thrombus sometimes gets dislodged and it flows into the blood and it may block any other artery and when it blocks any other artery that becomes embolism. Certain condition called as varicose veins is also present in certain individuals it may be because of various conditions like their occupation or posture or underlying disease when the vein wall it is subjected to related increased pressure over long time there is atrophy of the muscle and elastic tissue within the with the fibrous replacement in the wall and then this leads to stretching of the vein with the tortuosity it becomes dilated and it's a localized bulging there can be venous congestion and the feet it usually gets relieved by putting the feet elevated on a stool or it is uh, kept at a higher level than the trunk so that the venous return happens and then there is a relief in the pain Varicose veins can happen in other structures of the body, like at the lower end of the esophagus, or at the anal canal, rising, giving rise to another condition. So that's about the varicose veins. So that's what that was about. The applied anatomy related to the cardiovascular system, the arteries, the veins. The next topic will be about the lymphatic system till then stay tuned